Welcome to Adventist Voices, Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I am honored to be joined by author Nathan Brown, a longtime uh, friend of the Spectrum community, and um, the, uh, I would say, um, proud um, creator of a devotional book called Advent that has seen quite a bit of success. And so thank you for joining me today, Nathan. Hey, thank you for the opportunity and the chance to talk Christmassy things. Absolutely. I should have Christmas music playing so that can get us in the mood. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> you think that's hard? Um, you know, imagine trying to write a book about Christmas in July. You know, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you did it. And um, would you mind... Um, just telling me where the idea came from and how you kind of went from concept to uh, success. Yeah, so um, it's an idea I've had in my head for a few years now. One of those things that every time you get to Christmas and things are crazy and busy and all the different things that go on around the Christmas time, there are those moments that you get to, you know, I, I tend to traditionally be a bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to Christmassy things, um, you know, a bit cynical about some of the schmaltzy aspects of it and frustrated by the consumerist aspects of it and, you know, some of those kind of things. And even at times um, annoyed by the family expectations. For <laughs> sure. Yeah, all those things that come together to make the perfect storm of <laughs> Christmas frustrations. But then there are those moments in it that where you stop and you sing some of those old songs or you retell the story of the birth of Jesus. And again, you get that glimpse of something really significant, amazing and powerful at the core of this. And that despite all the nonsense that surrounds it and all the things that we put in the way of it, it the strength of that story still fits in the middle of it. And so I've had those moments over, you know, in different Christmas seasons over the past few years. And of course, then you get to saying, well, I should do something about that. I should write something about that. But, of course, then you get to Christmas and by you know mid-afternoon, December 25, everybody's over Christmas and you move on, you know, you're starting to look towards the next year. And so the challenge came with how can I uh, think about Christmas in this kind of way uh, some at a, at a different time of the year from those few days before Christmas. And so uh, it actually came... I'd put up a proposal, written a proposal for a church committee uh, earlier this year saying, you know, this is a project I'd like to do. Are you interested in supporting it? And they'd actually put up a little bit of funding to allow me some time out of the office to write it. And um, as it happened, our part of the country went into a significant COVID lockdown um, in July. And so I said, this is my chance. I'm, mm. going to, um, I'm going to be stuck home for a few weeks here. Let's make the most of this and get this thing done. And so July being winter in my part of the world, I'd get up early in the morning, light the fire, and um, 
I think Christmassy thoughts and hum Christmas carols <laughs> to myself. And, uh, yeah, but, but spent the time really focusing on the story of the birth of Jesus. And um, for me, that was a really good exercise. And the book was, was the result of that. And my aim was that there's 31 days in July, there's 31 days in December. If I can write a piece a day, that becomes a book. Um, throughout the month of July, I did that. And um, it was a good experience. And we got a book at the end of the process. Well, wow, congratulations on that discipline. Um, <laughs> um, can you um, kind of talk a little bit about your own Christmas practice? Uh, what sort of traditions did you grow up with? What have you kept? What have you not? Um, hmm. What sort of things are, are meaningful in, in the kind of larger non-theological aspects of the <laughs> season? Well, of course, Christmas in our part of the world is a little different from so many of the Christmas cliches because in Australia it's midsummer, uh, it's blazing hot generally, um, and uh, it's also the end of our school year. So it's our big summer holidays sort of stretch across the summer summer period, um, and so we, I guess, the main thing from growing up and some of it is really about family. You take mm -hmm. your long road trips to spend Christmas with family. Um, my dad was a pastor and so we were often in a different part of the country to where aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and all that were. So we'd often have long summer road trips that would then get us to Christmas. Um, and so that's probably, I guess, the, the part that I've grown up with most and that's still a significant part of what Christmas is as far as connecting with family and taking those opportunities to be together. The other thing that I think in the Australian culture is that we don't have Thanksgiving in the American kind of sense. Uh, and so Christmas becomes Thanksgiving as well, um, particularly as you take the opportunity to look back over the year that has been. And so you know, you're catching up with people and you're you know, catching up with each other with what you've done that year, what you've achieved, what, what you've been disappointed by, whatever that might be. And so that's uh, Christmas is many different things um, sort of rolled into one in our particular culture. Um, one of the things that I guess has helped me redeem Christmas, particularly perhaps from a more spiritual aspect, it has been a program that I've been in a part, a part of here in Melbourne over the past seven years called Road to Bethlehem, yeah. which has been a large interactive live performance kind of um nativity play i guess but an outdoor experience that would have you know and put out by some of the adventist churches across the eastern suburbs of melbourne and you know would attract um, tens of thousands of visitors from the community uh from other churches and uh, and so for those years i've been wise man number three Oh, great. Um, Important. Mel Melchior? <laughs> well, we haven't got into the names. We've just, we've just numbered them. Um, All right. But that's given me a unique opportunity to not just to be immersed in the story in a at least an imaginative kind of way, but also to um, experience it uh, through the eyes of the community, people that are looking for something, you know, for, to include this story as a part of their Christmas uh, traditions and celebrations. And so, yeah, that's been something that I've has kind of become a part of my regular practice. It's something that a core group of people have been doing now for 25 years. Here wow, now. that's great. And um, this year we're actually doing it as a because of some of the COVID restrictions. 
we've been we've um, filmed it and um, it's debuting this coming weekend. Um, and um, my screen acting debut. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which makes me nervous. <laughs> um, but yeah, is a um, yeah. Once again, just taking the opportunity to retell the core story at the center of it all. Sure. You know, it wasn't until I spent um, quite a bit of time in graduate school around um, uh, Christians who um, come from um, what we call kind of mainline denominations, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, um, even some Catholics, um, who, and being around them in the month of December, made me really appreciate the kind of larger Advent season and yeah. uh, the Christian history um, that goes on throughout um, those um, weekends um, mm. uh, that stretch back for, you know, hundreds of years. And it really, out of that experience, you know, you're an Adventist, you think everyone's running around, all my friends were like, Advent, Advent. And I'm like, wait, you know, that sounds almost <laughs> like my identity. <laughs> and it really helped me, you know, um, to appreciate more about, um, you know, what the actual name Adventism is about. Mm. Of course, mm. we talk about second coming of Christ as that's the part of Adventism, but um, that historical aspect connected to Christian um, tradition, I found um, enriching for my own understanding of 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 Adventism. So I'm just curious, as you were spending every day in the month of July thinking about what Advent means, I'm, what sort of um, takeaways did you have? Yeah, well, one of the most significant things that I, you know, my, I guess my first kind of tongue-in-cheek suggestion was that I was trying to put the Advent back into Adventist. Great. And um, <laughs> it... Um, but as I went and um, actually did some research into the history of Advent as a season, um, I really was surprised and shouldn't have been that it had a much bigger focus and um, that Advent, the season of Advent, as you go back and you know, look through uh, the way it was celebrated in the traditional liturgical calendar, actually had a focus on second Advent as well. You know, the focus on judgment, the focus on anticipating God's intervention in the world. Uh, I think that was a really significant part of it that I, you know, I kind of thought that Advent was just a um, a holy way of talking about Christmas. Mm -hmm. uh, but it actually, there's a, there's a lot more depth to it in those traditions that you've referenced. Uh, and even in my book, I decided that I was going to do, you know, 1 to 31 to as a sort of daily readings, if that's how people choose to use the book uh, for the month of December. And so after Christmas, so after the 25th, a, a focus on uh, Jesus' death, life, death, resurrection, and his promise to return. Um, and I realized that that was part of the traditional Advent season as well, because the Sunday after Christmas is traditionally Christ the King uh, Sunday. And so there is that element in it anyway. And so I, I guess I was, I was inspired and encouraged by the richness of the Advent tradition and I guess interested and enthusiastic about how can we make our practice of Advent much more Adventist. Um, 
and something that could become part of our church. I think there's some, some exciting things there. But I, my bigger, I guess my bigger task was simply to go back to the story of Jesus itself. And I spent quite a bit of time with the Gospels, uh, particularly Matthew and Luke in the first couple of chapters there, and just spent time doing a deep and close reading of the story again. And that was the thing that was the real focus of the book. It's not so much a Christmas devotional. It's a, it's a story simply, it's a book looking at the story of the birth of Jesus again in some new ways. And I discovered some new things about the story that I just hadn't noticed before. Um, that I think, you know, somebody that I was talking to about it just last week made the comment that the whole of our faith is found in that story. Mm. And because there are so many, just little tangents, little suggestions and hints within the story itself that build so much of what we would call doctrines that we believe in the of the bigger picture of God and his intervention in our world and uh, the claims that were made about Jesus and the significance of what happened in his birth. That's um, really interesting to hear that you're kind of thinking about the faith kind of shrunk down into these uh, key early moments um, were you, uh, did you draw, um, sort of ethical, um, uh, lessons from those stories as you were looking, I'm just thinking of, yeah. um, the way that poverty government, um, even immigration is part of those early <laughs> yes. uh, years of Jesus's life. What, what's, what jumped out to you as you were looking at it? Yeah, I think there's a few different aspects of that. One of them is simply how fully Jesus entered into the human experience. And so, you know, he wasn't just born as a human being. He was born as a poor in poor circumstances. He was born uh, in an occupied, you know, conquered territory as, you know, an oppressed people under a, an empire. He was, as you mentioned, a refugee escaping from a murderous king across a border into a safe place. Um, he was... Um, you know, there's so many different aspects of the story that we get um, that are there, that are not just that God became human, but that God became a particular human in a particular time and place and w that identifies with so much of the, particularly the experiences of the vulnerable and the oppressed in our world even today. And I think that's such a significant part of the story is how much of that and of course, you could go into the bigger story and, you know, even to spend some time with, you know, if the crucifixion of Jesus and, you know, what James Cone did with the cross and the lynching tree, for example. You know, just powerful recognition of God in Jesus, his identification with um, the oppressed and the, the, uh, the victimized, the vulnerable in our world. And that's such a significant thing. But I also do, do see key values that are played out in the story. And some of those are obvious. Um, they turn up on all our Christmas cards like peace and joy and, sure. you know, love and all those kind of things. But I, I see some other values in the story as well, such as humility and generosity and, um, hope. Um, all of those things are within the story and they all get their own chapters in the book because, I do think that this is, it's something that happened, but it's also a new way of living in the world. And, you know, if we are to be people that are um, shaped by this story, that are inspired by this story, that simply retellers of the story, uh, I think that that's such a significant thing for how to live as, uh, as, hu as fully human beings 
in in a world that needs those kind of values and that kind of presence. Um, um, you mentioned the liturgical calendar and, um, you know, uh, it sounds like your publishers treated you relatively well. You got a book out with a beautiful cover. I have only seen a picture of the gold embossed <laughs> cover, but congratulations on yes, some uh, nice design. And that was an intentional thing. We actually wanted to um, create a book. You know, it, part of its idea was that it was a book to share as a gift. Sure. Um, with neighbors and community members. And so we wanted a book that actually looked like somebody cared about it. Mm. Um, and rather than some of the literature evangelist kind of stuff where it's cheap and nasty and mm -hmm. designed for mass sharing, we were looking for something for meaningful sharing mm. and something that you would be proud to, you know, share with someone in your community. Great. Well, we'll include uh, links. Uh, I know we put up an article about it a few um weeks ago, mm. but I'll include links here as well if folks would like to order it. Um, any, since we're talking about lit, the liturgical calendar um, and you have a career as a wise man, are you um, planning <laughs> on addressing, you know, some um, profound thoughts on uh, Epiphany or maybe Pentecost coming up? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the, the opportunities continue through the year. Um, I, I have, um, I've actually got one of the other authors that I work with as, a, as editor who is working on something along the lines of Pentecost. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, and of course, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit and you know, that period of time between Easter and um, yeah, basically a walk through from from the resurrection to Pentecost, and mm -hmm. so yeah, there may be there may be other products right. products for, forthcoming. Great. <laughs> well, um, before we wrap up, I've got a question um, for you on writing in Adventism. Mm -hmm. You've had a um, you know a career doing this. Sixteen books published. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's what's your sense of the state of of writing? You're you're serving an audience. You're working within a denominational structure. Um, you know what's for for folks who care about writing, if for young writers out there, for um, folks who are maybe at the end of their career thinking about writing in a serious way. Obviously, spectrum folks care a lot about reading. Um, what's your sort of sense of the landscape of writing? Is it is it um, is there hope? There's always hope, um, and I guess there's two sides of it. There's the official publishing, and then there's the unofficial publishing. And probably the unofficial is the one where there's more hope, um, because there are more people writing and writing well and saying good things than ever. Um, you know, whether it's you know spectrum you know, with your website, whether it's, um, you know, so many of these other um, independents and semi-independent things where, where people are writing good things and putting them out into the world. The challenge, of course, is finding them and for them finding an audience. Uh, but when we look at the, I guess, the official channels of the church, they continue to contract both in quantity, mm. I would pro possibly say quality as well, but also in opportunity. Um, you know, there are official church channels that I am unable to be published in at the moment, <laughs> um, and there's stories behind that. Um, there are also, um, when we look at book publishing, you know, the 
with the demise of Review and Herald a few years ago, uh, but also the contraction of um, even the continuing publishing, the number of book, new books that are coming out each year into the Adventist space is contracting significantly. It's probably a third of what it was um, 10 years ago. Um, and that's a significant um, loss because the, the ones that were the creative publishing, the creative writing, the interesting ideas were the, probably the last five or six books in that list of 120 and now we're only doing 40, and, um, and so there's a lot less opportunity for what could be considered edgy, creative, um, whatever kind of publishing. Um, so that's a real challenge. Um, that being said, our publishing house has more than doubled our output this year, and um, that's an intentional thing that we've done, so we're trying to um, contribute some things back. Um, so it's one of those things that there's... Uh, there is a narrowing of the official church, but there is a broadening of the real church. And, uh, and I nice. think that shows in a number of different ways, not just, I think that's symbolic, the, the publishing writing perspective of that is just symbolic of the larger church, because I think that's what's happening more, you know, across the board in, in a number of different realms and facets. So, yeah. And I think that the real church is the thing that matters most. Um, <clears throat> And so we need to be looking out for those opportunities and we need to support people that are doing that in the different ways that we can. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, final question here. I'm just curious if you have a favorite Christmas song <laughs> that you like and tell us why. Yeah, my favorite Christmas carol is the one that um, everybody considers the dreariest, which is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Mm. Um, you know, it's probably the most profound. And, of course, the other thing with it is most of them have silly things in them or inaccuracies in them, uh -huh. uh, which I kind of got frustrated with when I was working through and going, yeah, that's not, that's not in there. <laughs> you know, um, the, the closer you pay attention to the story itself, the more you start to see the glaring um, or the traditions, at least, that have been layered on top of the story, and many of those are reflected in our Chris Christmas songs. Um, so... You know, I, um, I, there are some great Christmas songs and it probably is one of the uh, best legacies of our Christmas traditions is the music. Um, mm -hmm. But <clears throat> we need to be careful of getting our, our story from the songs rather than, you know, going back and rereading and rediscovering the story and then, then just singing the songs as an expression of joy and um, a celebration of the, the goodness that is in the story. Mm. Well, thank you so much for um, contributing to Adventism in this way and for the um, career that you've spent writing and, uh, and speaking to uh, this community. And I wish you a Merry Christmas. And, and Christmas blessings to you and to all the people that will listen in to this. Not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget.